this morning I want to speak to you about raising your standard. We're still in the mindset of raising up, okay? Setting up, raising your Ebenezer. As Gretchen and I went out on our little journey this past week and we we're talking about these things, we literally went past Ebenezer Baptist Church and had a big old rock out in the middle of it. And any rock that you see now is going to help remind you. These things will help you in remembrance of being spiritually minded, being spiritually minded. I mean, the world, do they not use billboards? Do they not use signs? Do they not use decorations? Do they not use uh, colors and things to try to get you think in their imagery? Try to get you think. They try to, to grab your imagination so without even thinking about it, you're thinking about it. Wouldn't it be nice to be thinking about God even when you don't realize you're thinking about God, right? And you don't have to be reminded. It's, it's established inside of it that you become spiritually minded. And you have a promise, and I have a promise, that those who keep their minds stayed upon him, he will keep them in perfect peace. Not only that, it did not say that you will not have troubles or challenges, but you'll have peace in the middle of your storm. He also said for those who are spiritually minded, that is life and peace. You can have the best life when you're spiritually minded. I'm telling you, that carnal mindedness and that worldliness, you know as well as I know that sin only lasts for a moment. Now, it might be a long night. It might be a long weekend. But come Monday or come the next morning or come Saturday morning, you know that what you spent and what you did was not worth it. Amen? How many of y'all remember those days? I can remember them. I try to forget them. But I tell you what, his faithfulness is something that we need to be mindful of. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. I'm going to pick up in verse 1. Isaiah 59, verse 1. I'm going to get to the theme verse to what the Lord dropped in my heart about a week and a half ago of what he wants me to speak on, what he wants to say to us this morning. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. That it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your self will, your lawlessness, your sinfulness, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. So that he will not hear. Now let's move down to verse 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west. Realize we're in the western hemisphere. So they shall fear the Lord from the west. And his glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up, raise up a standard against him. Friends, we're living in a land subdued with, succumbed to deception, confusion, lawlessness, immorality, where evil is good and good is evil, and you don't have to go far to realize it. We're living in a world that is spiraling out of control. If you want to know what in the world is going on, find out what in the word is going on. We don't have to be bound to this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. If you've been born again, if you've been saved, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you're walking in the spirit and you're spiritually minded and you're not walking according to the lust of the flesh and to the ways of the world, you're free. You have promises. He has plans. There is a purpose. And as I said earlier, it is time for the church to arise. This is going to be our finest hour. 
This is going to be the best day ever. But if you stay mindful of all the deception of the fake news, you stay mindful of all the immorality, you stay caught up in arguing over and conversing over the transgenderism and the, and the confusion that is taking place in this world, you will miss nor comprehend. You will not have faith and you will not find joy. You will not experience peace in this hour. But you may ask, where's God? Where is God in all of this? Well, if you're wanting to know where God is, if you do not know where God is, if God does not seem close to you, if God does not seem near to you, there's a very good possibility that that separation is formed through iniquity or sin. Now, you may say iniquity or sin, and you might couple the two together. Don't do that. One can lead to the other. The other can be sourced with that one. But iniquity is doing things out of your self-will. It may not register to others that what you're doing is sin. It may not register to others that what you're doing is a taboo or it's evil or it's wicked. You might just be moseying along in your own path, doing things your own way. It does start to sort to and align with foolishness. Living and acting as if there is no God in that moment. You see, only a fool says in a heart there is no God. They might say in their mouth there is a Lord. They might say in their mouth there is a Jesus. They might say with their mouth that I confess him, I believe him. But their heart in that moment acts as if there is no God. He doesn't see me. This doesn't offend him. This doesn't matter to him. And we act accordingly to our heart's desire instead of to a heart that is loving God with all that it has. He's calling his church. And it's fine. It's freedom for you. I can't lasso you. I can't control you. I can't cause you to have to do this stuff. But I've met too many people that come in this altar and other altars and have that wham, 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 exciting moment with Jesus because they're in trouble. But two, three weeks later, they can't live it anymore. They don't want to live anymore. And they start to drift off. They think it's okay to go celebrate somewhere else than the Lord on Sunday. I'm just telling you, it's a good place to be. It's the right place to be. He's coming back for his church. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for those who are in love with him, who passionately have surrendered their life and have become obedient to the will of God. So be careful and realize that our iniquities, which leads into lawlessness, things we do out of the order of God, out of the order of the plan of God, can create a separation between us and God. So he shows us that there's a sin issue. Now, I'm going to say this over again, that whatever issue that you're seeing fought and battled in political environments, there's only one real answer to it, sin. Abortion is a sin. To annihilate what God has created is a sin. To not respect somebody according to their skin color is not a historical issue. It's a sin issue. You need to find your history in the Bible because that's the only way you'll find his story for your life. It's a sin 
issue. To judge anybody. It's as sinful for me to judge a white person as it would be for me to judge a black person. But we've tried to make our own structure and order of what is and what isn't. What's accepted and not accepted. Listen, when we have a sin issue, there is a God issue. And when you have a God issue, there's only one remedy, and it's Christ. It's the only thing that's going to answer. And that's the one thing our news medias do not talk about. That's the one thing our politicians don't bring to the table. But this nation was founded upon 55 men who signed a a constitution, who signed a declaration. And those people, 52 of them, 52 of them were very involved in their church. As I quoted Jefferson, the Bible is the cornerstone to the liberty of America. We must build upon the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. Well, I'm going to back up to verse 1 just so you get a little understanding here. We're going to emphasize in verse uh, 5, 6, and 7, 8, and 9. But moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. Now, now listen to this story. It's amazing. He said, I don't want you to be unaware. In other words, Paul said, I'm trying to teach you guys something. I want you to be aware of something. I want you to have this knowledge. He said, be be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. We're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Let's modernize that, if you would. Let's bring that up to current times. All of them believe in God. All of them committed to his divine protection. All of them wanted deliverance from their Egypt, and they went through the sea, which was their baptism. So who he's talking to right now is people who have confessed the Lord, who have chosen to follow him, and have been water baptized. That's how it'd be modernized today. So if you fit that category, he's speaking to you. And he's speaking to all the other churches that are out there of people who have professed Jesus Christ and have followed him in believer's baptism. This is a spiritual symbolism. It's a foreshadowing. It's a prophetic knowledge of what is going to come. He says here, he says, he says they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. Everybody say the Bible. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank from the same spiritual rock. For they drank from that rock, that spiritual rock, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Let it sink. sink. I'm not a fisherman, Ken. I seem to be a fisher of men, but I'm not a fisherman. Sometimes you got to let it sink to catch what you got to catch. But with most of them, so it stands this day, there's a very high good possibility that with most of us in this room, God is not well pleased. God is not well pleased. Paul told them later, he said, let us make it our aim in the second letter to the Corinthians, let us make it our aim to be well-pleasing to God. He did not say, let it make it our confession that we could be pleased to know that we're going to go to heaven. But it needs to be our mindset, is my life pleasing to God? Friends, this is real Christianity. 
This is where the rubber meets the road. And this is where it becomes yes and no. Either or one way through Jesus. He said God was not well pleased with most of them. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. Now this is why it's important for me to preach this passage of, message, uh, passage of scripture. There still are examples today. We can look back to the Old Testament, like Samuel putting up an Ebenezer, and we can look back to the old scriptures and find out the example of how we're supposed to live. And he makes reference to this by saying, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In other words, you and I ought to make a determination today, I'm not going to lust anymore. Now, I know. Your mind immediately goes to immorality, pornography. And no, we should not do that. You know that as well as I know that. But you're saying in your heart, there is no God. When your spouse is not in the room, is not with you, is somewhere else, and you're on the internet doing that, you are living as a fool. Who's being fooled? You think you're fooling them, but it's you who's being fooled. You're defying God. Well, that's my weakness, but his spirit is yet stronger. But I don't feel his spirit because your sins and your iniquities have separated you from God. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Don't think life is just a, just a, a journey of pleasure. Uh, don't think the life, he's not talking about over bowing down to some, some uh, carven image there. But he's saying, don't, don't think this life is about your worship and everything serving you. He said, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ. Listen to these words. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the age have come. We've heard one passage prophetically speak that from the West, they will fear the name of the Lord. Now we're hearing here that there's a time period, there's an age period that all this has come upon. Friends, you and I are living in the age that the Bible speaks of. We're living in the days that were to come, and these days are now those days. In verse 12, he says this, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he may fall. That is a very stern and a very needful exhortation or address from the scriptures, I know from my life, because sometimes we think just because we've confessed, therefore we've got it and we've arrived. He said, be careful. He who thinks he stands, lest he may fall. Now watch. Yes, you are standing. He who thinks he stands, lest he may fall. So don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. 
We ought to search and find out and be open to ask the Lord, what do you think of me? What is your mind? I've had numerous times in my life growing up in this American culture to have a desire to be successful, to achieve and to accomplish, to be known, uh, to be victorious or a champion, whether it be in sports, uh, whether it be in Christianity. And sometimes I think this would be the avenue or that would be the avenue. But then I find out that's not his plan for my life. This is his plan. It might seem as simple to you as saying, well, I'll just live wherever I want to live. Have you ever asked him where he wants you to live? I'll go wherever I want to go. Have you ever asked him, does he want to go? See, living our life surrendered to Christ. So examples of the past of tempting the Lord. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. Then they journeyed. I want to remind you that all of us are on a journey right now. We're on a course, we're on a path where we're traveling through life. And there they were, they're journeying through the Mount Or and the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. If you're living in a season of discouragement, it ought to cause you to really bend in, lean in to hear what to be cautious of, what to be careful with. They were discouraged. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Well, let me say it this way. They spoke against Christianity and against the church. See, we have a tendency to hide these words and get different descriptions of things and not fully understand they still mean the same thing. When you're speaking against God, you're speaking against Christ. When you're speaking against uh, the ways of God, you're speaking against the church. When you speak against the leadership, when you're speaking against preachers and ministers, you're speaking against his bride. The people spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Why did I get saved and I can't do this anymore? And there is no food, no water. Our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Let me say this to you. What Paul was saying to the Corinthians wasn't just saying something. He was referencing something. He's saying, guys, this stuff really happened for our example. So what the preacher is saying today is as real as what the Bible said 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. It still stands. So this isn't just some hyped up message. To be quite honest with you, I thought, man, it'd be great just to have a celebration service. But listen, we're not going to fix America if the church doesn't get fixed. If a man can't get something fixed in his heart, he sure enough isn't going to change a city or a nation. Amen? God is trying to rebuild his church. I've seen things built with the wrong material before. And you have a tendency to stumble on it, lean on it, and it doesn't hold. It doesn't work right. It doesn't seal right. He's getting some things out of the church so he can rebuild the church so she can stand. And not only stand, but withstand. 
she can stand with God and all things, once again, will be possible. Why have you brought us out of Egypt? There's no food. There's no water. We, our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Let's talk about just a few things here. Worthless bread. No water. Griping and complaining is the venom of a deadly snake. Oh, no, no, listen. It was their griping and complaining that got them snake bit. I've said it numerous times. How many of y'all can gripe and complain? No need to raise a hand today. If you can gripe and complain, you can pray and intercede. Life is a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Worthless bread. I don't have time. I had to push the Bible away. Gretchen didn't. I came in from the back door this morning. She said, well, where have you been? I had to leave my study because we had to be on an eight-hour journey sermon this morning if I didn't. Worthless bread? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I came down from heaven. That manna was Jesus. You're worthless to me, Jesus. I don't need to worship you. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to tithe. I don't need to evangelize. I don't need to pray. You're worthless. That's foolishness, my friend. Foolishness with haughtiness. Friends, we need to worship. Friends, we need to believe. We need to be obedient. We need to love. We need to care. We need to serve. We need to reach. He is worth it all. So that's what they were saying. I don't need you. You're worthless. There's no food. No, there just wasn't the food they wanted. I'm not going to tell anybody Christianity is easy. I describe it this way. You've heard me say this before. I've been fasting alcohol for 31 years. I've been fasting cocaine for 31 years. Why? It's out there, but it's not for me. It's not, this world is not for my pleasure. You see, there was food. It just wasn't what they wanted. Their flesh wanted something else. No water? We'll find out in the next passage of Scripture. Yes, there was. There wasn't a pond. There wasn't a swimming pool. There wasn't a creek. There wasn't a river. But there was a rock. The miraculous. They were fed by the miraculous. Now listen to me. Some people don't want to go any further because there's not enough of the miraculous. There's not enough of the supernatural. There's not enough signs and wonders. There's not enough gifts. Don't think that the gifts, the signs, and the wonders, and the miracles are going to be what satisfies your heart. Your heart needs to be converted. Your heart is not about signs, wonders, and miracles. I want to go to a more prophetic church. I want to go to a church where they, they shout more and they dance more and they, and they lay hands on more. Or I want to go to a church that they just... It's not about what you want. 
You could take it to the other side of the pendulum. They were not content with God because they weren't content with other things. They wanted other things. Other things in your way and the other way is not what's going to make it. God most likely has you here for a reason. Has us in the season for a reason. Griping and complaining. Verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses. 23,000 have died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Sin issue. It's not a geographical issue. It's, it's not a, a, an items on the menu issue. It's a sin issue. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. And pray the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So he took a pole, he took a, a, a rod, just like we have here for our flag. You know, a lot of people need to look back at the American flag and realize what freedom really is and what it cost. And what it costs. And they need to start remembering the good things that have happened. But we're living in a day where good is evil and evil is good. So all they can focus on is the evil, the bad that has happened. It won't change anything. Two wrongs will never make a right. Flipping racism from one side to the other, flipping your, se- your sexual orientation, it won't make things right. It's an issue in the heart. It's a sin issue. There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. You can fight all those fights you want. Reach him with Christ. Christianity. Set it up on a pole, on a flag there. He said, whatever bits you, you look at that, it can heal you. But I want to remind you how venomous griping and complaining can be. Exodus chapter 17, written for our examples. And the Lord said to Moses, notice God speaking into these situations. Friends, until and not until God speaks into what's going on in our culture, will anything change. But for those whom listen, who are listening to God and hearing his voice. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your rod. Take in your hand, your hand, your, excuse me, your hand the rod which you struck the river and go. Remember, they struck the river to cross the river, and the river parted back. He said, you take that. You take the, you, you judge me faithful. What I did before, I can do again. It may not be the exact same thing, but I can do all things. He said, you need to get your rod in your hand. He said, you need to take it with you. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. Don't tell me there's no water there. The only thing you need to be concerned about is, is there no God there? That was their problem. They didn't see God. And Moses did so. Could you imagine striking a rock, hitting a rock, and enough water come out? to meet the need of over a million people in a desert. And then to turn around and say, there's no water there. You didn't heal me yet. 
That woman didn't say that with the issue of blood for 12 years. 38 years paralytic. Don't raise your fist at God. Draw near to God. You haven't set me free yet. You haven't done this yet. Think about what he has done. Well, what has he done? Showed you mercy this morning. Gave you breath through the night. There's so much that he's done. We just don't see it as him. We see it as us. I made this money. I made this life. That stuff's worthless. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Because the contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord in saying, is the Lord among us or not? Just doubting. Questioning God. Questioning the faithfulness of one who had fed them all those years with manna. The one who provided water out of a rock, yet they questioned him. Maybe it'd be a good time to set up an Ebenezer every time God does something for you. So you don't forget him, lest you may forget the Lord your God. May we not forget him. Friends, that's what's happened in America. He's been forgotten. He's been neglected. He's been rejected. Our issues in America are a sin issue. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some men and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand, this is the Lord, uh, he said, I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So now Moses has taken on the very nature of God. God had said to Moses what to do. Now Moses is telling Joshua what he can do. He didn't get that. He's taking the place, not in place of, but he's standing in who God has made him to be. He stands on his faithfulness. He stands. He said, I'll be up on the hill. You go get him, Joshua. It's your turn now. I'm handling over to you. You go fight the enemy. You go stand out there. He said, I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Remember, friends, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. You see, what you need to understand is this pole is a standard. That pole is a standard. That's why Iwo Jima was so important. They kept the flag up. They kept people's morale and courage up. And we need to get the morale and the courage and the belief and the faith of the church back up. The greater is he that is in us. That we have through our faith, we have victory over the world. He said, I'll go up there with the rod in my hand. You know, we so often talk about Moses when his hands are up and his hands were down. We always forget to talk about the rod. Sometimes God is as simple as a piece of stick, a piece of wood when it's your Ebenezer. When you realize it associates you and connects you with what God has done in your life before he can do again. Here I raise, not just my hands, but my Ebenezer. So Joshua did as Moses said to him. Friends, I just wonder what would happen to the church if they would do what the leadership and the preachers and the teachers in the church are instructing them to do. Instead of running somewhere else to find someone else or something else or somewhere else. to, de- Because so often we don't want to do what needs to be done. We just want to do it our way. 
So Joshua did it, and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let it down, the Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Moses and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one side, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated the Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Let me say something to you. I believe that God can utterly knock out, drive out, remove from you anything and everything from your past that you'll stay in the battle for and let him defeat in your life. We get so mad and so upset that this hasn't changed and that hasn't changed, but we went back to this and went back to that. And saying, I still have this problem. He hasn't done this. He hasn't done that. If we would just stay with our hands up, we get around people who believe that God can do all things and do anything, all things will be possible. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. He also spoke of times where, and Samuel did as well, that the battle belongs to the Lord. Friends, let me tell you, the battle of America belongs to the Lord. You've been told and I've been told my whole life, your vote counts, and it does. Your vote matters, and it does. But then there comes a time, it doesn't. I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm not telling you not to vote. But sometimes you voted in a city meeting, in a national meeting, and maybe 10 years ago, 10 months ago, wherever it was. And it didn't turn out the way that it needed to turn out. And things started working against us. We have to put our vote and our confidence back in God. We need to reestablish and rebuild the church and the kingdom of God. Where? In our hearts in our homes, in our church, and in our community. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. The only hope that we have is Jesus Christ. He's the answer to all of our problems. A strange way in which the battle was won, huh? Same sword was in the battlefield when it was winning, when it was losing. But it was all connected to the raising of that banner, the raising of that rod, the raising up of that. It's safe to assume that Moses was in a place of an intercessor. I don't know how to ask you this. We could do a rally and get everybody together. But we have to be doing it when we're not together too. Intercession. We need to pray like never before. The prayers of a righteous man avails much. If you're finding your prayer life is not being productive, look at your personal life and see what it's producing. Is it producing righteousness, peace? Is it bringing joy of the Holy Spirit into people's lives? Also, we find out in Mark 14, 38, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Willing. 
And Moses wrestled with that. You need to hang out with people who will hold up your arms. You need to hang out with people who will stay in the battle with you. Amen. Let's start to wrap this thing up. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at a feast. And they came to Philip, who was in Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew and turned to Andrew, and Philip told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say it to you, unless a wheat kernel falls on the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He's starting to predict and prophesy and to establish his death. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And notice that it did not say him my church will honor, him my pastor will honor, but him my father will honor. We have sought the honor of others far surpassing being satisfied with the honor that comes from God. Well, they didn't recognize me. They didn't pat me. They didn't say this. They didn't do that. And nobody mentioned this or mentioned that. He said, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? I don't know about you, but to me, that's an encouraging statement to realize that Jesus himself, while on earth, in the condition that the earth was in that time, and there was political upheaval in that time, there was rising and playing and drinking and eating in that time, but he said, my soul is troubled. I ask you today, Christian, brother, sister, is your soul troubled? Is your soul troubled? What I'm experiencing on this earth troubles my soul. He said, my soul is troubled. Father, save me from this hour. Jesus is saying, it's so heavy. God, just save me from this hour. Do you ever feel that way? It's an interesting and it's a good thing to find that you can experience some of the same nature that Jesus experienced because he was in the same nature that you're in. His soul was troubled. Father, save me from this. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Have you yet found your purpose? Why are you still here? Have you asked that question? Why do you still remain David served God's purposes in his generation. David took down giants, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. David faced opposing enemies but served God's purpose. Friends, when you sign up for the purposes of God, you can expect, you can expect the opposition of the enemy. Hardships and difficulties. Spiritual warfare. Turbulences and tribulations and trials, fearful occurrences. He said, my soul 
is troubled. Save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Listen to this. He said, Father, glorify thy name. Father, glorify thy name. If we could get that into our prayer hopper, if we could get that into our mindset, if we could get that into our will, Father, I'm here, and while I'm here, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, he spoke, God answers. He spoke and he said, Father, glorify thy name. He said, then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Let me say something prophetically to you this morning. Let me say where we're getting ready to go as a church. Not the well, but his church, his bride. This, the well's just an address where there's some believers that hang out. He said, for the last 33 and a half years, Jesus, I glorified my name through you. Through your righteousness, through your obedience, through the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the teachings, the trainings. The, he said, I've already, I've already done it, and I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. That ought to make a church get happy. I'm here to tell you, He's going to do it again. He's going to do what he did in the life of Jesus. He's going to do what he did in the life of the church in the book of Acts. He's going to do it again. We've just been scratching the surface. We've just been scratching and sniffing, scraping and hoping. But I'm here to tell you, he's going to do it again. Who said? God said. Because Jesus is getting ready to turn the mantle over to the church, over to the Christians. I know a group of people who get excited about that. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Well, sure, if you're producing sons of thunder, it's going to thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Because you're still spinning in your head thinking, how's this going to be? This is for you. This is for us. This is for us who believe the word of God. He spoke. I glorified it while you were here, Jesus. I will glorify it as long as the church is here and greater things are yet to be done. He said, this wasn't spoken for me. It's for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the rule of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples unto myself. This he said, signifying what death he would die. Friend, there's another standard. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. Why don't you go ahead and bring in that other standard? I think they're outside that door, John. Just let them know they can come in with it. It's a standard we're all very familiar with. It's coming from the other side. Watch your heads there. Ooh, that's going to be hard coming down. I think the path that Jesus took. Watch your leg there, Brother Charles. It was a straight and narrow path. Friends, just as Nehushtan, the pole with the snake, was there for them to look to, to heal them of their snake bite, 
this cross can heal you of all the fiery serpents in your life, can forgive all of the sins, can remove all the poison of the worldliness out of you. Not only keep you from lusting, but draw out all that immorality out of you. Can set you free. The people answered and said, we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Listen to me. Speaking again prophetically from the scriptures. A little while longer, the light is with you. While, walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Friends, the remedy is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's time once again to not just raise a rod, but to raise the cross. Say, what do you mean raise the cross? See, we're still living in the past, thinking the work of the cross has already been done. The only way the work of the cross will be done in your life the only way that the cross will work in your life is if you pick it up and follow Jesus. Well, you got to get this. Going to church is just a little bit. Going to church is a joy. If going to church is a burden and a trouble you, something's burdened and troubling you deep inside. Going to church should be where we want to be. It's this that we've got to pick up. It's a cross that we have to bear. It's a midnight conversation as you stand to your feet the Jesus head with Nicodemus John 3 verse 13 I'll go to 14 and Moses lifted up the serpent as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God so love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation, listen, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's where bottom out, that's where it meets the road right there. The light has come. Do we love the world more than we love the cross? Now remember he said, I must be lifted up. I must be lifted up. I'm not just talking about being raised out of the dead. He's saying, you must pick up your cross and follow him. That's how he gets lifted up. Is when we pick up the cross, we hold up the banner, we set up the Ebenezer, we live according and maintaining our faith in God, no matter what comes. That's loving light over darkness. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. What does that look like? 
If you're practicing it, it's not just a weakness. Jesus said, it's as if you hate me. You despise me. It's as if you tempt me as they tempted me in the wilderness. And whom many of them I was not well pleased with. You know, if you look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation, there were certain aspects of each one of the churches or some of the churches that he was pleased with. But he wasn't well pleased with them. Need to be his first love. Needs to be our number one decision and decision maker of what we say, of what we do, of what we eat, where we go, what we don't do. We need to pick up the cross again. True Christianity, listen to me, will not be attendance alone in church. It'll be bearing the cross. That is true Christianity.